0: If you're an Indian company looking to go public, right now is the best possible time to do it. The Indian IPO rush this year has seen different companies from Zomato to Kalyan Jewellers go public. And now, the government of India wants in. In February of this year, 2021, India's finance minister, Nirmala Sitaraman announced a disinvestment target of $23.5 billion. Now, the government has been putting out disinvestment targets every year along with the annual budget, but we're at this point where it doesn't mean much. They never meet the numbers and the pattern continues into the next financial year. But this year is different. For one, this target is five times the number of last year's financial year disinvestment target. For another, the Indian economy has taken hit after hit and is in desperate need to recover in some way or the other. And finally, the centre announced that $13.4 billion, more than half of the disinvestment target, would be raised from an IPO the IPO of their crown jewel, LIC, Life Insurance Corporation of India. The state-owned insurance company is being opened to the public for the first time ever, with a 10% share. So while this IPO may bring in big bugs, there's definitely a payoff to it. And we have to wonder, will the government really be able to handle it? and welcome to Unofficial Sources, a business podcast by The Ken. I'm Anushka Jakara, and I'm your host. This episode, we're diving deep into the LIC legacy, its worth in valuation numbers, its place in Indian society, and its relationship with the government. And how this IPO may just mark a new chapter in the life insurer's long-charted history. Stay tuned. Life Insurance Corporation of India. You probably recognize this name because you or someone in your family has a life insurance policy with the state-owned insurer. Or you possibly remember it from this iconic jingle. That tune takes me straight back to my childhood, which was like 15 years ago. But obviously the corporation has been around for way longer than that. Now 65 years since its inception, the government is listing 10% of LIC into the public market to raise a whopping $13.4 billion. And of course, everyone is talking about it. The IPO will be the largest ever listing India has seen, and it would still be the largest even if it was at half that number. But the hype is tied to the brand itself. LIC is so recognisable as a brand not just because of that nostalgic jingle, but also because it controls two-thirds of the market by premium on new policies. It's a brand and service that cuts through every economic household in the country. But all that is still not the reason why this is such a huge historical event. Of all the public sector undertakings the Government of India owns, LIC is by far the most valuable. That's why we're calling it its crown jewel. With deep pockets, the insurance behemoth has had its unique relationship with the centre, which kind of uses it as its purse, so to say. So while 10% might not seem like a huge number, it will signal a new era for the corporation. Now, to understand how this listing will work, the number and calculations behind all of it, we have to get to the bottom of its valuation. And for that, I called in Anand Kalyanaraman. Along with Sita Ramaji, he wrote the story for the Ken Why India Shouldn't Repeat IRCTC's Valuation Misstep with LIC's IPO. That's the story which this episode is based on. Anand is a chartered accountant and writes financial stories here at the Ken that pack the power of numbers with words. Hi Anand, thanks for coming in today for the podcast.
1: Hey Anushka, hi.
0: So I've been doing a lot of research for this LIC story, of course, and the sense I get is that okay, it's this super, super valuable company. It's owned by the government as well. It has a lot of significance in the Indian culture as well. We obviously have to look at the valuation, right? But the term valuation by itself is so daunting and confusing. So where do we even start with valuing a company like LIC? Yeah,
1: Sanushka... In the valuation of life insurance companies, it is important to look at the embedded value of the company. Mm -hmm. So embedded value is an essential concept in the valuation. So embedded value is essentially the present value of an insurer's profits in the future. And you also have to add its net asset value, which is essentially the difference between its assets and its liabilities. That is the embedded value.
0: Okay, so the embedded value or EV is an essential number to arrive at the valuation. What's the path from that to the valuation then?
1: In case of LIC, it's a little hard to arrive at the valuation immediately. That's essentially because the government has not yet announced the embedded value of LIC. It's expected to be announced either in August in September. So we have arrived at LIC's valuation based on comparison with the listed companies in the insurance space and have attempted to arrive at a rough ballpark range. These are SBI life insurance, HDFC life insurance and uh, ICICI life insurance.
0: Okay. And what are a few broad factors? Like, I know there are a lot of calculations that went behind this. There's even some charts that break down the calculation. So if you, the listener, wants to dive into that, you can check out the full story. But without getting too into details, can you tell us a few broad factors that you look at to arrive at this embedded value?
1: So in our exercise, we essentially looked at the assets under management of all these listed companies and also LIC.
0: Speaking of assets under management, we know that LIC is the state's largest equity investor. And I read in your story that it has sizable holdings in ITC and Larson and Tubro, for instance. So is that what makes up the assets under management or AUM?
1: Yes, Anushka. It is unclear, actually. Because it includes all the investments of LIC. It might include even the debt investments and the equity investments. It's a little unclear as of now, but you can assume it as the overall amount of money that LIC actually invests in the market.
0: So, what is the range of valuation that you guys arrived at?
1: Basis are analysis of the various scenarios. LIC's valuation could be in the range of $121 billion and uh, $215 billion.
0: Okay, so we will eventually find out the valuation by the government soon enough. And maybe I'm a pessimist, but I just kind of want to go through the worst case scenario, right? Because valuation is such a crucial step in this whole process. Now, what is... I mean, on one end, the worst case scenario is undervaluing the company. So what would that look like if the government did that?
1: If the government undervalued LIC, it will be heavily criticized. That's because unlike the earlier issues, the LIC is among the largest companies in the uh, government's kitty. And the government is also counting on LIC's IPO to meet the major part of its uh, disinvestment proceeds.
0: And it would be even worse considering that they've already made this mistake, right?
1: Yeah. So earlier in 2019, the government had uh, come out with the IPO of IRCTC and uh, it had apparently undervalued it badly. And on listing and after that the stock rallied significantly there it was a mistake but it was okay in the sense because it was a smaller company in the case of LIC that's a mistake the government uh, cannot afford here
0: right and now on the other end of this worst case scenario what if the government ends up overvaluing LIC
1: On the other hand, if the government becomes extremely ambitious and attempts to overvalue LIC, there is a risk that the IPO may not succeed. Hence, the government has to adopt a valuation which is right, neither low nor high, especially because uh, the government is uh, counting on this IPO in a big way.
0: Valuation is more an art than a science, and if like me, you follow the teachings of Ashwat Damodran, known as the Dean of Valuation, you'll agree that the valuation of a company is as much about the story of the company as it is about the numbers. So what is the story behind LIC? I mean, we know the facts and numbers behind it, but what is the essence of LIC? And why is it such a recognisable brand amongst all Indians? Well, I'm just 22 years old and definitely do not have life insurance. So I needed some help here. I asked my colleagues who would be a good person to paint us a picture of LIC. And someone told me about an old professor of theirs from the Indian Institute of Management in Bangalore. He's Professor Srinivasan R, a professor of strategy at the IAMB. When I reached out to him, he was quite eager to speak to us and even said he's been doing his own research into LIC. Talking to him was like visiting a teacher after class hours and having fascinating discussions over a cup of chai. While there was no chai involved and we were limited by talking over a video call, I did learn a lot from our conversation.
2: Okay, so I am a professor of strategy uh, at IIM Bangalore. Uh, I've been teaching for the last 25 odd years and I've been teaching strategy making as a process. So how do people make strategy? And in the last few years, I've also been interested in uh, how do we look at organizations that evolve over time?
0: Okay, great. And you said you've been doing some research of your own on LIC. So what has that been centered around?
2: So I've actually been looking at how do organizations respond to changes in the environment, dramatic changes in the environment. So if I actually look back you know, at uh, LIC, it's one of those organizations which is actually a brand by itself, a verb by itself. Like we say, you know, you, you don't reprograph a document, you Xerox a document. The same way you, you don't buy a life insurance policy, you buy an LIC policy. So the idea of an LIC, it helps that life insurance is part of the name. It's not a, there's no prefix of before that, unlike other competitors. So therefore, it has become a generic name for any life insurance. And it has survived this long for a really, really long time. With all of this, that's going to happen with the IPO and everything. And I'm sure LIC will actually not just survive, but also do pretty, pretty well.
0: Okay. So let's just go all the way back to when LIC was started. Um, Now, why don't you paint us a picture of when and why LIC was set up in India?
2: In fact, I'll go much farther behind. This whole idea of pooling of resources, no? It's not something new to India. The Indian uh, thought in Kautilya Sartashastra or even before that, there is this Dharma Shastra from yajnavalkyas This Yagya uh, Dharma Shastra actually has pooling of resources to be able to redistribute in times of need.
0: But let's not go back that far. In the 1800s, the British colonizers came to India and brought the idea of formal insurance. In the next two centuries or so, insurance are many forms. It went from being something just for traders to being personal life insurance. Some companies only provided them to white Britishers, while other insurance companies came up for Indians. There were different companies in different princely states, and it all became complicated and messy by 1945. By that year, there were about 250 insurance companies.
2: So by about 1952, after the first uh, union election, after the first Lok Sabha election, the government announced or promised that we will regulate this business and we will have a national insurer. So in the the first speech of the budget, the finance minister announced post uh, this one, in the first Lok Sabha, the intent of a life insurance was announced. 1956 is when the act happened. The primary purpose of this nationalizing, all of these 245 companies, Indian, foreign, exploitative, small, struggling, they put all of them together to create an LIC.
0: Okay, so since then, LIC has grown over the decades with changes from liberalization of India, many private competitors coming in, digitization. But Through all that, Professor, how did LIC become the life insurance company for Indians?
2: So three big resources that LIC has. The first resource LIC has is its beautiful selection of target customers. This LIC's target customer is a very unique sweet spot. This is this guy, this is this typical uh, guy who is conservative, but is not necessarily financially astute. He wants support. He will take advice. He doesn't know the breadth of all financial products. Conservative but willing to delegate financial decisions. Not too conservative to put all his money in FT. He wants a little more returns than his bank FT, But is not risk taking that to go into the equity market. This is this guy in between. Not too risky, not ultra conservative. Somewhere in between. And this is a typical Indian middle class. The booming Indian middle class. And and the 91 to 2010, the 20 years, was this segment of population was what drove India's growth through the LPG years. The second big uh, resource that LIC has is this army of loyal agents.
0: Hmm, The LIC agent.
2: I keep wondering why isn't there a movie on LIC agent?
0: Okay, so Professor, let's say you are going to you're given the opportunity to write a movie on an LIC agent. What would this main character, LIC agent, look like? What is their life like
2: so so the the, the image that I have of an LIC agent is like this. You know, this is like that typical suburban Gurgaon Manesar, maybe Nakshai Kumar, right? Playing the lead role, writing mm. a whatever hero Honda, you know, a middle-aged 45-year-old, being able to talk to the 50-year-olds and the 25-year-olds at the same time. Right. And 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 you know the, the idea of this is these are micro entrepreneurs. Hmm. These are not employees. These are people who value the freedom of their timing, of their choice. And the and their Big resource, their big whatever is, is their deep expertise of their customers' financial needs. Hmm. So, here is an LIC agent who, who knows his 500 customers by name and everything. He knows that, you know, uh, You know he knows that Unki Betty is getting ready for this. He knows that kind of, uh, you know, he, he understands. The social, economic nature of every single customer. Mm. None of this is documented. None of this is algorithmic like the Facebooks and the Googles do. His algorithm is between his ears. He knows his customers so very well. You know, to the extent that my LIC agent actually called me saying that, sir, you're approaching 50. Your like your driving license is going to be expiring. <laughs> yeah. He reminded me that my driving license will expire on my 50th birthday. That's the kind of deep knowledge he has. Now, this knowledge is extremely loyal. And this is these are very loyal agents. Okay. Now, how did they get this loyalty? Is because the brand LIC, no, they don't have to go and sell LIC brand. When they do the business, they only have to sell their expertise. I am expert. I know the products. I know the right product for you. I can customize the right product for you. Brand LIC was already built. The third uh, very important skill that LIC has built is these agents know these agents are continuously skilled. It is not like these agents will go out of fashion. I don't know if you know every single branch has an agent training center. Hmm. If there are very branches so close to each other they will possibly have two, three branches together. But there's a training manager at every single branch, which means for every 35, 40 agents There's a training center and they're continuously trained before they're enlisted as an agent, annually. Now, these three things have helped LIC stay over all of these years. Tight regulation in the monopoly years, deregulation through the private players, foreign players with deep pockets entering and hitting the market. These deep pockets uh, entrants have come and killed a variety of industries. They've killed uh, Indian consumer durables business. What Indian consumer durables brand do you know today? What PC brands do you know today? Indian PC brands, what Indian watch brands do you know today? They have come and killed a variety of things. LIC has stayed in spite of this, you know, uh, this thing that has come from. And, the, and these insurance companies are not like a uh, durables company. they have very, very high deep pockets, very large pockets. And some of them are backed by governments or pension funds. Trillions of dollars of back-end cash and those fellows have not been able to garner market share from LIC. And largely because the sweet spot of customers, the army of agents with deep CRM connects, and the continuous training and upskilling of agents.
0: LIC and India's history in the last few centuries go hand in hand. On one end, it's represented by the relationship that people have to it, and on the other end, It's defined by its relationship with the government. The IPO will be another milestone in this path and will affect all sides. But the path is not a simple one. The cascade effect of the IPO path goes far beyond big bucks and some public involvement. It has far-reaching consequences that might just change the face of the state-owned company. We have an idea of LIC's past, its present, and somewhat into its near future. But we need to look further beyond that to actually understand the significance of this IPO. To get into just that, I spoke to Sita Raman. He's the co author of the story, and if you're a regular listener of the podcast, you will probably recognize his voice. He's a staff writer here at the Ken, actually the chief of bureau of our Mumbai arm, and he writes about energy, retail, and banking. Hey, Sita, thanks for joining us here in for the podcast.
3: Hey, Anushka, good to be back after a while.
0: Yeah, so, of course, there's no doubt in our mind now about, you know, the kind of value of LIC it's worth billions and billions of dollars and also just its place in the society and how prevalent it is across all economic classes. But I wanted to discuss it from a more forward-looking perspective. Specifically, there are some doubts about the growth, the potential for growth for the company in the coming years. I read that in your story and I was wondering if you could just elaborate on that a little bit.
3: So Anushka, if you look at the growth of LIC. One thing that's very clear is the role of the LIC agent. All of us are familiar with LIC agents, right? So there are about, what, uh, over 2 million insurance agents in the country, and more than half of them actually work with LIC. And these guys actually bring 95% of LIC's business when it comes to individual insurance policies. And that's not the case with the private sector. For them, only 25% of their business comes from these agents.
0: Okay, so is there a problem with having an agent model?
3: Well, the agency model has actually worked quite well for LIC uh, all these years. But the thing is, it's about 25 to 30% more expensive than bank assurance, which is nothing but selling insurance policies through bank branches. If you look at the private sector, all the top insurers are partly owned by banks, which is the reason why they depend on this channel more than any other channel. They get almost uh, half their business from bank assurance and it allows you to scale much, much faster. It's not that LIC has not tried this model. It's just not been as successful as its private counterparts.
0: Right. So there's nothing inherently wrong with the agent model. It's just that it's more expensive and makes scaling harder for the company in the future. Correct. Right. And speaking of, you know, the way they carry out insurance, there's something I read in your story about the way policy premiums work with LIC versus how they work with private sector competitors. Can you tell me a bit more about that?
3: Well, if you look at life insurance, you know, you have single premium policies and you have recurring premium policies. And if you look at LIC's business, most of their policies actually are single premium policies, where it's the other way around for uh, private players. This is a problem because every year you'll have to go out and get new business if it's single premium policies. And that's why private players actually focus on recurring premium policies. One of the you know private sector guys that I spoke to actually said LIC actually has the capability to do this year after year. But what happens if it fails? two years in a row, after it goes public, right? And that's where investors will have a problem.
0: It's always interesting when a company puts up an IPO in India, but it's particularly more interesting when it's for a public sector undertaking. Now, by virtue of going public, the government will have to open up about LIC more than it would have if it wasn't for this case. Now, I want to explore a little bit How does this change the government's relationship to LIC, given its past and the kind of rules it has to stick by now going public?
3: Well, LIC has actually been an investor or lender of last resort to the government, you know, all these years. Whenever the government is in trouble, it actually turns to LIC. If you look at, you know, some of the public sector IPOs in the recent past, like New India Assurance Company or Hindustan Aeronautics, investors were not actually uh, very kicked about these IPOs. So the government actually made LIC subscribe to these IPOs and bail them out. And there have been several other instances where uh, the LIC has actually come to the government's aid, including when LIC picked up a majority stake in IDBI Bank, which was struggling with bad debts. Once it goes public, investors may not be comfortable with LIC continuing to do the government's bidding, which it has you know, done time and again all these years. That has to change. We'll have to wait and see to what extent it will change. But that will be a, you know, one of uh, investors' top concerns.
0: So if I'm a shareholder in LIC I wouldn't want the government just using LIC however it wants throwing around huge amounts of money like thousands of crores of rupees.
3: For LIC it may not be a lot of money you know this is a company with uh, assets of almost 470 billion dollars hmm. so a billion dollars is not really a big deal Uh You know, so it's not a question of how much money LIC is sort of, uh, you know, giving the government or, you know, other state-owned companies. It's a matter of principle, right? I mean, once a company goes public, there are certain, you know, responsibilities that you have as a majority shareholder. So investors may not really be comfortable with, you know, uh, LIC being called upon to, you know, subscribe to this IPO or that FPO just because other investors are not interested in it
0: right but what if even despite all of that the government just kind of says screw you guys we still own 90% of the company and continues doing what it's done in the past what will that mean
3: well you'll see a, a huge backlash from institutional investors uh, remember you know in the ipo the government will only sell 5 6 maybe 10% not more than that so the government will have to sell more in the future so you need these guys To subscribe to those issues in the future. Mm. So if the government continues to act the way it has with LIC, then you can't count on those institutional investors to buy more of LIC shares in the future.
0: As if the stakes weren't high enough, on a larger scale, a lot more rests on the LIC IPO panning out well.
2: Apart from the money that government will get, the cash that the government will get a lot of cash that will stay with LIC and that is going to be invested in a huge amount of absolute innovative products. I had a sneak peek into what LIC has in their plans for the future they have some nice niche subsidiaries and a lot of these subsidiaries are waiting for capital the housing finance the financial services limited
3: right
2: now imagine what kind of thing that will happen when uh, a billion of these dollars goes into LIC housing finance. So if I capitalize LIC housing finance, I mean, that's going to make a huge boom to you know middle-income housing in this country, infrastructure. But there's a lot of this cash that LIC has can be used beautifully well. And that's going to spur a lot of growth and development in the investment space. A third big thing that the government's going to get is this government's going to get this uh, i mean leaving the politics aside is going to get this tag that we're not very worried about this crown jewel business and all of that we're not very sentimentally attached to a crown jewel if there is economic value we will take that economic decision this ipo is a pure economic decision rather than a political or a sentimental decision you know so the government's going to score a lot of brownie points around this positioning that we are economically minded not sentimental
0: and that's it for this episode of unofficial sources personally i have never gotten into the investment world never bought any stocks but working on this lic episode i'm kind of convinced i do want to buy into the whole ipo but what about you Are you interested in buying an LIC stock? And is there something you're considering that we didn't cover in this episode? Actually, you know, there's a lot that we didn't cover in this episode. The story that was written on which we kind of crafted this episode has a lot of details and charts and calculations. And if you're interested in looking at that, you can check it out in our podcast offer. Other than that, we would love for you to write to us if there's something more that you'd want to add. You can email us on podcast at the-ken.com or tweet at us at thekenweb. And well, we'll see you next time, next fortnight on Unofficial Sources by The Ken.